Hey everyone, and welcome to season three of the show. This is your host, me, Matthew Kirby, and I can't believe we've come this far with our honest conversations, and we can't stop now. We are continuing to evolve and adjust to have those real conversations that we so desperately need. To my fans, thank you for your continued love and support of the show. To my first timers, hey y'all, thank you for joining us. We have some big changes on the horizon, ooh-wee, and I can't wait to spill the tea. In the meantime, in between time, thank you for listening and enjoy today's episode. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Honest Human Resources Podcast with your host, me, Matthew Kirby. And today we're going to be talking about a topic that's really not only interesting to me, but that's something that I've been in plenty of conversations before, and I wanted to put this kind of topic or this idea of white saviorism on the table today for today's conversation. You know, we're going to get into talking about what it is and all that jazz and everything else, but I really wanted to talk about this idea of do minorities, do black people, do whoever, do we really need to be saved? Or is it something else? So we're definitely going to get into that. We have an awesome and a really great co-host, a guest, however you want to refer him to, on the show today, who, frankly, we're going to have a good conversation about it. So let's not waste any more time and get right into it. So Matthew Solomon is the coach for the modern soul, a relationship coach and consultant who supports you in creating the supportive partnerships you truly desire. His work goes deep to heal, transform, and create a new future for your relationship with yourself, with your partner, or in colleges and corporations. Matthew is the author of the Amazon number one, Man School, Relating with Women in the Me Too Era, and he's a contributor for the Good Men Project. He regularly speaks on panels related to social justice issues, as well as sex and intimacy, and has been a guest on over 40 TV, radio, web, and podcasts. We'll do all the contact information later, but in the meantime, welcome to the show, Matt. How are you doing? I'm I'm good, Matthew. I feel like I'm talking to myself because we have the same name. I, I know, but, you know, wow, we're, you know, two Matts on the same show, on the same episode. This is going to be hilarious in some some aspects. So I'll ask you the, the I bet, the most number one question that you get about mm-hmm. being a fellow Matthew. Do yeah. you prefer Matt or Matthew? Matthew. Matthew, all right. Yeah. So I'll yeah. call you Matthew, and you'll call me Matt. How about that? Okay. All right. Cool. <laughs> I have a well, like no, just a quick funny story. I met uh, Matt Dillon, the actor, one time. Uh-huh. Uh, this was like years ago, and so you know, I was at a party, and somebody introduced him to me, and they and they people, you know, my friends call me Maddie. So so my friend was like, "Oh, this is Maddie," and then Matt Dillon just kind of smirks and motions like, "Yeah, you know who I am," and we have the same name. Like he just like with a gesture. <laughs> it was right. great. Hey, and you and you know what? There's so many of us around the world. It's it's always it's always funny, you know. I, I run yeah. into this conversation every time, every time. And then just kudos to not only uh, you having that name, but also 
my son is a Matt as well. So we're oh, keeping okay. the thing going. <laughs> yeah, that's so great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, before we get into the meat and potatoes of this of today's topic, yeah. I want to ask you the question that I ask everyone who comes on the show. And that question is, how are you a human resource? Yeah, that's such a good question. And and I mean it's really uh, I mean, honestly, it really embodies my work and how I got to do this work and everything. I, I'm a human resource because I'm a human and I've been through a bunch of stuff. I've helped people through a bunch of stuff. Um, I know a lot of stuff. <laughs> I'm learning about stuff. And so all throughout my life, uh, you know, people have come to me, you know, for for support or help or, or, or questions or just to have somebody listen to them. And so I've always been a resource for people. And I've, you know, I've always sought out other folks who were resources. So that, that's how I'm a human resource. I just, I happen to have a lot of experience that uh, tends to make a difference for, for people. Yeah, no, and I, I really appreciate you not only embodying that question, but, you know, I always ask everyone this question because we hear a lot of different takes on it. You know, I've heard everything from, you know, hey, this is what I do as a professional to, hey, this is my higher calling or my purpose in life, or hey, you know, this is my passion project. So I, I really enjoy hearing the responses and the feedback to it, and yours will be no different. So thank you for that. And just outside of the bio that I read, you know, let's, let's break the ice with our listeners a little bit. Matt, yeah. give us some fun facts about you. Fun See, facts. I messed up already. I was supposed to call you Matthew. <laughs> oh boy, this is a yeah. long episode. <laughs> uh, fun facts. I tap danced from the time I was ten until I was about seventeen. Um, okay. So that's so that's fun. Uh, I was in I was in bands. I was in the you know in music uh, from the time I was like nineteen and you know for like ten or fifteen years. Uh, so I had long hair. I played in rock bands all up and down. I live in LA, so all up and down the Sunset Strip, like all of those famous clubs I, I played in. Um, mm -hmm. The drummer from the Chili Peppers uh, jammed with my band one time on stage, so that was that was fun. Um, oh, oh, and in my high school job, uh, there was a hot dog stand called Tale of the Pup, which was in a lot of movies, and it's a hot dog stand that's shaped like a hot dog. So that was my high school job. I worked there. Nice, nice. Yeah. And you know what? You never know what kind of things people are into unless unless you ask. So, yeah. no, thank you for that. But long we await it, and I'm excited to get into this topic because it's, it's very interesting, and I'm happy to hear your take on this. But, you know, when we think about this, this idea, this notion, this concept, whatever you want to call it, of white saviorism, for you, what does that mean to you? And then I'll jump in and do my take. But, you know, in the meantime, I feel like depending on who you ask, the definition of it changes. So when you when you hear that term, what, what does that mean to you? Yeah, for me, and you know, all of this is is a is a process, is a learning process. And you know, so my history within social justice and and all of that, like, you know, I you think you uncover something and have the answer and then six months later you realize oh there's more so it, you know in this moment I mean I think 
you know, white saviorism is the, the tendency, I'm white, so the tendency of people who look like me, who are white like me, to believe that, and, you know, a lot of times we're not even conscious of this belief, but we think that, like, we're the ones that have to save everybody, or we're the ones who are going to save everybody, and, and it's really something that's been socialized, where, like, we inherently, for the most part, believe that we, we are, I don't want to say superior, because that's, I don't think we inherently, but, but at a, at a, at a certain level, it's like up to us. And when we talk about American exceptionalism, uh, it's, that's usually white. I mean, it's white centered because, you know, America, the United States was colonized by white people. So, so it really is the, this belief, this, um, idea, this, uh, inherent understanding that we are the ones who are going to make the difference and we're the ones who are right and can save everybody. And it's, it's all throughout our, our movies and uh, you know, like the stories and programs and stuff that, that I grew up with, you know, being, I'm 47. So, you know, growing up in the eighties and nineties and seventies <laughs> and all of that, it's that, like, that's what it, that's what it means to me. Yeah, no. And I, I think you hit on so many things. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, it is, just like a lot of other things, but I won't derail this episode too much, but it is one of those things, one of many things where there is an aspect of it being rooted and centered in whiteness. It's also another thing where, and I've heard this before as well, it's like, you know, well, they, they being white people, you know, well, they, you know, they created the problem and now trying to be the same people to solve it. Uh, I've also heard, you know, out of sometimes out of frustration when I'm talking to other folks, you know, it's like, we don't want to be saved. You know, we're not mm -hmm. here to be saved. You know, we're, if anything, we're here to at least be on some sort of kind of, you know, level playing field, right? Let's level it up first and then we can worry about uh, other things. But, you know, just thinking about, and it's funny that you mentioned that you're, you're in the LA area, you know, when I think about movies and shows and, just all kinds of creative productions where, you know, either a woman or a minority or someone's in, in danger, or you have this uh, damsel in distress mm -hmm. type of uh, notion going on in whatever we're watching. And, you know, whether it's uh, the police officer or, you know, just a nice guy on the street or just some sort of white dude just comes in and, and swoops up and saves the day. Um, and I, I feel that thinking about the roots of this thing, it's in so many different aspects, like you mentioned. I mean, it's it's almost everywhere. And being in the workplace, being in the corporate space, it's, it's no different. So, you know, just kind of thinking about that, you know, do you feel like in the term, do you feel like, you know, white people have like a hard time in some aspects of accepting those kind of tendencies or the idea or the notion that, hey, you know, I'm this, so I need to save these people. You know, what, what, do, you, what do you feel about that? I, I think white people, generally speaking, just have a really, really hard time with the racism conversation as it is. You, you know, I mean, you, you mentioned something about, you know, like responsibility. But, you know, if we, if we were talking about white privilege, like, you know, what, um, like, we don't want to acknowledge that we're part of the problem. We don't want to acknowledge that, 
you know, we, it, it's funny because I'm, I'm so glad we're having this conversation because in, in the interviews that I've done, like I haven't really gotten into this particular conversation. Mm -hmm. And so, you, you know, I was, I was remembering back growing up how Geraldo and Montel Williams, they had talk shows, you know, in the 80s and 90s. And when they would have the white supremacists come on, the neo-Nazis come on, like that was a very specific, particular kind of, quote, racist. And in a lot of ways, um, you know, for me as a white person, it was like, oh, okay, that's what a racist looks like, you know? And, and I'm Jewish. I grew up Jewish. My grandparents are Holocaust survivors. And so I have a very... Uh, uh, visceral response to anything Nazi related, you know, based on that. Um, mm -hmm. But then, you know, racism is not just that. It's a, it's a, there's a whole spectrum of it. There's, you know, and then when I started studying sociology when I was in college, uh, I was a music major, but, but I, got, I got into sociology, um, you know, just realizing like how the structure is set up, how the laws are created by the people in power so that they stay in power. And so those in power were largely white, you know, old, rich, white men. And so it's easy enough, easy enough concept to grasp that the laws are for old, rich, white men, and then everything else kind of like conforms around that. But then that goes out the window when, you know, like a white person like myself is like, what, what do you mean I'm privileged? I'm, I'm not rich. I had, you know, I had, you know, this, this, and this kind of struggles growing up. And, and so, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to say we're that. We don't want to say we're those Nazis that were on the Montel Williams show, you know, but, but, right. it, you know, it comes along with like shame and guilt and, and, and all of that. And so for me, uh, the more that, that we can look objectively and just say, you know what, um, how, how can I contribute to dismantling this versus like i'm not qualified to to save you, you know you or anybody from from racism because i'm i still benefit from the system um you know i i i do a lot of work around it i do a lot of uh learning and and you know participating in discussions and and at the end of the day you know there's always the the risk that i'm going to um, commit some sort of microaggression, you know, just as a, as a place where I don't know. Uh, and so, so for white folks, the more that we can sit in being okay with there's stuff that we don't know. And if something comes up, we have a, a way to kind of, you know, restore integrity and restore who we are and keep moving forward. Like that's, that's the, the place for us to be versus in the, the denial of it or, or in the, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fix it because, you know, if we're benefiting from the system, we're, we are not the ones who are able to fix it. Right. No. And I, I feel like, you know, just thinking about that, it's, ooh, there's so many different ways that, you know, we can go with this, but I, I love how you say that, you know, sometimes we, we, and um, when I say we, not me, but when you say we, I'm yeah. talking about white people, um, <laughs> but, um, you know, how that sense of objectiveness needs to be there and it needs to really be intentional. Um, you know, just thinking about how, how widespread this web of interconnectedness when we talk about 
uh, white privilege and then just, you know, white folks really struggling with the idea of like, hey, I'm not just running around and saying, ooh, look at me, but it's really that absence of not realizing how, and you was mentioning earlier, how, you know, the laws and some of our practices and things of that nature are really rooted in that notion of, hey, you know, this class got the power, here, here are the rules, and everyone else has to, you know, abide by them or else. You know, we, we always, and, and when I'm saying we this time, we being in me, meaning black people, um, you know, we, we always tend to say, you know, we're living in a white man's world, so we got we to gotta do the best we can and we got to survive. And just thinking about your take and your passion surrounding social justice issues, like how, what, what was behind the inspiration of not only taking that first step of acknowledging that, hey, wow, oh, okay, you know, there, there might be a possibility that, you know, I am benefiting from the system, but I'm also more cognizant and willing to listen to others who may be disenfranchised versus ignored at all. So what what really got you to take that next step? And it's like, okay, I've acknowledged it, you know, kind of, because it's still, you know, a lifelong thing. But, you know, what made you move forward into doing something about it or engaging others about it or just getting more active in social justice? Yeah. You know, it, it was really, uh, I mean, if, if there was like a, an incident, it was, it was really the, the Trayvon Martin murder and George Zimmerman's acquittal. And, and so, you know, growing up in LA, in West Hollywood, um, I, I had what I discovered was a really unique experience and that the, the schools that I went to were were very mixed you know it was it was every race every religion every you know sexual orientation um and so my friends were everybody and i i grew up because of that and because i i was listening and paying attention um i i knew at an early age that my experience as a straight white male was different from from my friends and so, you know, growing up and, and then I, I went to uh, USC, University of Southern California on a music scholarship, which was, you know, close to the like downtown Los Angeles area. Mm-hmm. And I was there in the early 90s. So, you know, I'm in music school. I'm studying sociology because I, I, I was fascinated with how societies are formed and set up and, and, and also dealing with my own differences as a, as a Jewish male who was going to a temple and, and learning about Jewish stuff, you know, in a, the temple I went to was in Beverly Hills, which is a very rich area, but I wasn't from that area. So I felt like an outcast there. And then, <clears throat> excuse me. And then, you know, I'm going to school with, with people who are my friends who, you know, were not treated the same way, you know, in, in society. And so I'm going to USC in the early nineties, right, right at the time of the Rodney King beating and the LA riots and then the OJ Simpson trial. And so witnessing firsthand as a, as a, as a white man, how, how different my experience was. And so I had always, you know, been aware of that, 
and then you know social media comes along and then Trayvon Martin and for me it was like yeah this is a no-brainer George Zimmerman's going to jail and then when he didn't uh, and then when I saw the reaction of a lot of white folks on social on Facebook in particular who I had been in uh, personal development courses with I had been in seminars with where we you know were trained in like understanding other people's experiences. We were trained in listening. We were trained in, um, you know, just really seeing, like getting out of our own uh, limited views of the world. But I would see how they were still seeing it through their white lens and making excuses and not listening to experiences of black people. And so I would have friends, you know, friends of mine who are black who, I would say, hey, check out this thread. Do you want, you know, can I tag you in? You, you know, and, and then my friend, one in particular was like, he's like, dude, they're not gonna listen to me. You know, he's like, you're white, they'll listen to you. He said, I'll, I'll jump in on the comments, but you'll see what happens. And he would jump in on the comments and, and people, white people would negate him or victim blame or whatever. And so it, it was out of that that I just, I became so, frustrated basically that people white people weren't listening that I, I I became more involved and you know I I started to write more about it I started to share more online and then I was in the process of writing a book uh, to help white people understand racism from from my perspective and then the me too movement online happened and you know, and then Me Too was started in 2006 by a black woman named Toronto Burke, but then got co-opted in 2017. Um, but then when that happened online, um, the the conversation shifted, you know, but for me, it was the same thing. It, it, you know, instead of uh, a race issue, it was women talking about their, um, you know, being raped, sexually harassed, uh, you know, uh, being on the receiving end of violence and then largely men arguing with them about what their experience was or they misunderstood or, you know, so, <clears throat> so I wrote the book that I wrote, but for me, it, it, this is another thing, for me, it's the same conversation. And yet all of the white women feminists that loved the book that I wrote because it spoke to their, what they were dealing with, when race would come up, they would then deny that and then they would they would do the same thing and i was like what is going on here it's the same it's the same thing you know so so that's kind of what brought me to uh to really being involved in this and and just you know working to spread what has been shared with me but more, more importantly to amplify voices of of black people of people of color of indigenous people you know and of women um because what's missing is is our interest in understanding each other like and i think that's part of the, the white exceptionalism thing also is that oh we 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 know we got it you know but we're not listening and we're not and and the thing is we're not taught how to listen we're not taught how to communicate anywhere in our lives unless we actively seek that out so so that that's kind of how i got to to this place yeah no and i, I feel like when I think about, and you mentioned this earlier, but when I, when I think about, you know, why is it perhaps so hard or difficult or really just challenging, you know, and to be quite frank with, you know, white people accept, accepting that and, 
you know, kind of instantaneously going into uh, defense mode. You know, I like the example that you gave, you know, with your with your friend, and you literally have the chance to, through those comments you were mentioning um, on Facebook, you literally had the chance to see, you know, what he was going through and what, you know, really so many of us go through as well. So, you know, thinking about that ultimate denial or what I'll call racial deniability of, you know, the white experience as it relates to not listening, what are, what would you say is like the hardest about that? I know you mentioned, you know, you all not being taught to listen, you know, whether that's actively or empathetically or sympathetically or whichever one of those words applies, but, you know, you know, why do you, why do you feel like it's, uh, it's, it's such a big stumbling block? Uh, cause it's, a, cause it's a lot, it's a lot to, um, it's a lot to deal with. Like it's a lot to mm -hmm. accept. I, I was in a, uh, a course last summer. Uh, there's a woman, Bridge Feltis, who has a diversity course for white people to to unpack and to uh, you know understand like the historical context of racism, and uh, you know like how how people are affected by it. And as much as I thought I knew, and as much as I had experienced, and as much as I had been listening. Um, going deep with with that it's a it's a lot you, you, you know i so i mentioned my grandparents were holocaust survivors um mm -hmm. it's it is really really hard for me to look at photos from concentration camps you know i'm yeah. I'm, I'm jewish i've never seen schindler's list i i have no interest in ever seeing that movie and so you know i realized a few years back that my you know, aversion to that, the, 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 the traumatic response that comes up for me regarding the Holocaust, you know, for black people in the United States, for indigenous people in the United States, dealing with slavery and lynchings and, um, you know, the justice system and all of that, like, it's like, I can get a sense of what, what that must be like. And so, you know, for white people to stop and actually actively dive into that education and and be like you know we did that we as a as a culture you know we as a, a white culture we as colonizers uh did that and or still benefit from that and or still do that you know it just looks different um it's a lot and it's easier to to sit back and, 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 and I mean, maybe that's how we're coming full circle into the savior conversation. It's easier to sit back and be like, oh, well, I, you know, I can fix it or I'm not part of the problem or I don't see color, you know, and it's easy to say like, I don't see color. So, you know, it's not, uh, really, I'm not doing, I'm not that's part the, of uh, that, that statement right there. And sorry to jump in. Man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, statement right there is like my, and I tell people this, my like top number one, uh, most racist thing you can hear a mm -hmm. white person say is that uh, I don't see color, you know, yeah. without, and I'm telling you, that can be a whole nother episode in and of itself. But, you know, for those who aren't as familiar that may be listening with that kind of statement, whether it comes from a white person or any person mm -hmm. in general, but when, when someone says they, they don't see color in their mind, they may be, you know, saying, Hey, you know, I'm not that kind of person that, 
takes those differences that we all have, color, ethnicity, race, all of that, and applying them to my advantage. But what we really hear when someone does say that is, you know, hey, you're not acknowledging my history. You're not acknowledging my differences, not acknowledging, you know, my black skin or my brown skin or whatever skin, or you're not acknowledging insert whatever. And it's really one of those things where it's like the ultimate form, I would say, in my opinion, just mine, um, you know, it's the, it's the ultimate kind of deniability in itself, you know, it's like, hey, and I'm going to be doing another episode on this, but even when we fast forward to uh, 2020 and we talk about the, the idea, and we know it's a buzzword and it's popular nowadays, but the whole uh, people of color thing, you know, Mm -hmm. as a person of color, me, I'd rather not be grouped up with everyone yep. else because we all have our individual stories and heritages and backgrounds and identities. And there's a whole lot of intersectionality. And I'll just even mm-hmm. um, keep the example short, even just with in the Black experience. So I know for me, I, I'm one of those who personally, I don't really use the term. Um, I like to acknowledge as much as I can. And I try not to group folks in that kind of that setting because, you know, we all have, even from one um, race or background to another, we all have different things that we're not only fighting for, but also have been affected by history pretty differently. So um, what you said, it, it was it was so hilarious, and I'm sorry to, to jump in, but I, I almost find it laughable nowadays when when i do hear someone say hey i don't see color but yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's funny i was on a this was a couple years ago i was on a a, a podcast and uh the the host is a, a black man and, and we were talking about um you know masculinity we were talking about you know race and all of that and so we were having a conversation and he he thought I was gonna say I don't see color, and he was like, "Don't even." Don't. And I was like, <laughs> "I was like, I wasn't going there. I wasn't gonna say it." But he was all over. He was all over it. He was ready. He was ready for me to go there. But I was like, "Nah, <laughs> I, I know. Yeah. I know better." <laughs> yeah. No. And you know, just thinking about those different kind of, even I would say, different kind of issues that you know we face in. You know, regardless of what um, color, what uh, marginalized group you're in, for those who are listening. But you made a good point when you said you even as a as a Jewish man, you know, you have trouble or definitely don't prefer to see, uh, you know, certain movies and certain mm-hmm. topics. And I'm I'm pretty sure, you know, we probably won't ever see you in Auschwitz or, you yeah. know, any other of those mm-hmm. places. And when I think about that. I feel like what differs in those two types of experiences, um, I think that when we talk about, let's just pick on the black experience, you know, we, even as, you know, growing up, you know, eventually, and you can ask nearly any black person this, but, you know, it'd be hard, it'd be hard to not come across someone for us, for example, who haven't seen Roots. Yeah. For example, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's if you don't know any other, you know, movie like that, it's like you at least know where Roots is. And there's yeah. there's a ton, there's a ton more 
doctor referred to. I know one of the things for me, and I've only watched it once, and I haven't seen it since, and this has been years ago, but when I first saw, uh, what was the name of that movie? I believe it was Mississippi Burning, and I was like, yeah, yep, mm -hmm. not going to see this again. And, you know, I say all that to say, you know, oftentimes we are, we are forced to confront our past, yeah. maybe not personal yeah. past, but past of our people. And it's one of those things where throughout our history, throughout us, you know, growing up as people, throughout anything, it's, it's the thing where we, as a race, we, we face that, you know, we have to face it. And then when we think about how some of those ideas and things even continue to manifest in today's time, it's like, okay, you know, I know what I am. I know we're a minority. I know we're all that. But it keeps, it's, it's always going to be one of those things that is shoved in front of our faces, right? We can't, we can't really get past it. And to circle this back to, you know, really that idea of how other folks think we need to be saved, you know, we, we don't. I just like to make that clear. You know, yeah. no, no one's looking, you know, to be saved by, you know, uh, a white man in the cape. Yeah. And definitely not, definitely not the ones in the hood. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, this, this idea of we need saving, we don't. Now we like, for bonus points, you know, we like some equality around here. But you know, in terms of being saving, that that's 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 not what we need. And just thinking about how you know white people could apply that other um, backgrounds or races or ethnicities or whatever you want to call it, you know, that's why we begin to hear so much, especially nowadays, about this term of allyship. And, you know, who's a good ally? Who's a bad ally? You know, who has the best of intentions but has sucky methods or they don't do it the best? So, yeah. you know, what's, what's your take on at least what you've been either exposed to or maybe have been yourself? But how do you feel about this idea of allyship? What's, what's that all about? Huh. That's, such a, that's such a great question because, uh, you know, a lot of times when, when – you know, there's the, when racism comes up and the white person missteps, you know, they're like, but I'm an ally, you know, and I've, and I, that's a, that's a, a mistake that I made myself, you know, a, a, a couple years ago, you, you know, declaring myself an ally. And, and, and what I realized, you know, you talk about like human resource. Yeah. It's like, I've, I've, I've made the mistakes and I've stepped in it and, and all of that. Um, but for me, I don't, it's not up to me to uh, label myself that, like I, I'm not qualified to say if I'm an ally. Um, you know, if 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 you consider me an ally, then I, I humbly and graciously accept that, and and I still have work to do, and I still have to, you know, keep unpacking, you know, my my privilege and and all of that. And so, you know, the concept of allyship. I mean, I think. Uh, you know, as as an as an idea, as a, a as a path, let's say that as a path, um, with you know, in this case, white folks actively uh, being educated on racism and unpacking our privilege and unpacking and coming to terms with like where we benefit and where we can 
be part of the change and where we can amplify voices and, and where we can, you know, make a difference and, and uh, you know, protect and provide like all of that stuff as, as, a, as a path, I think it's, you know, it's a great, it's a great thing. It's something to, you know, uh, strive for. The, the problem is, is that it becomes a, you know, and I don't know if, if this is particularly a white thing. I, I think it is. It's like, you know, we're, we're all looking to attain a certain thing and then to say, okay, we're done. You know, whether it's enlightenment or allyship or, or, or whatever the case may be, it's like we, you know, we, I grew up with this idea that, oh, I, I become this thing and then, and then there's no more work to do. Um, and that's just sure. not, this is just not the case. Right, no, and I, I think just with that, and you mentioned one thing, like I, I never thought about it as much, but it makes sense now that you say it, but when, when I think about allyship and who's good, who's not, I, I don't think really, you know, anyone, or in this case, white people, you know, do have that qualification to be like, I'm self-proclaiming that I'm an ally, and this is how I'm an ally, and this, that, and the third. It reminds me of, and it's one of the many things my wife says to me, you know, it's not about what you say, it's what you do. You know, mm -hmm. actions speak louder than words. You know, are you going to be by my side or supporting me or listening to me only up to a certain point? Well, yeah. what happens? The shit is the thing. You know, you're going to be there? What does that look like? Right. And just thinking about some of those differences, you know, a lot of these, and I'll call them probably from now on, who knows, maybe uh, these self-proclaimed, quote-unquote, uh, allies, you know, well, what happens when things get tough? Yeah. What happens? You know, who who is going to really uh, stick their neck out and fight? You know, it kind, of, it kind of reminds me, I just got this image in my head, but uh, I remember when, um, this might have been a little while ago, but uh, I remember when um, Bernie Sanders was still running and the photo of, uh, I know this was many years ago before I was here, but he was hand-in-hand uh, hand with Martin Luther King. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I think it was either somewhere in Alabama or Georgia or somewhere down south. And it's like, just thinking about even him, I'll pick on him some more, all of the work that he's done over the course of his career and just life, you know, you never really hear him say, or I've never heard him say, you know, I'm an ally, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's not it's not a label that we need to announce, that yeah. someone needs to announce. It's, you just do it. You, you, you know, you, you don't label yourself an ally. You just are an ally. And I think that's, a part of the general direction that sometimes, and especially nowadays, because allyship is, is a buzzword, it's the flavor of the month, you know, it's politically correct, quote unquote, that there needs to be that shift. And just doing it, like, just, just be one. You don't have to tell us that you are one, just be one. And I want to, I want to pose this to you, and I love doing this over the course of all of my shows, I want people to, to walk away and take something with them. So if you had to do, and I know you mentioned this earlier about addressing a book or anything like this, are you familiar with or 
Have you seen the the show Dear White People? Uh, yeah, I I've seen uh the the wait it was a movie first, right? I've seen I know yeah. I've seen yeah I saw the movie and then I saw like one of the the first episode I believe. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So, you know, generally speaking, for those who uh, haven't seen either or the movie, the series, whatever you want to uh, refer to as, you know, basically that show is set up to where over the course of many different uh, topics, notions, discussions, and all that, it's, it's, it's spoken to or it's produced or it's demonstrated in the sense of Black people saying, hey, dear white people, when you do this, this, and this, you think you're doing this, but you're really doing this, you know, without uh, getting into it and it's it for everyone. So yeah. if you had to do or had to write a short letter to white people, starting with dear white people, mm-hmm. what are some of those things you would say about owning it? And when I say owning it, you know, just owning that, hey, you are privileged, you know, that doesn't automatically make you an evil person, but we have to acknowledge it. And also include in that letter, like, what are, what are, what are some things that you would want your fellow white people to take away about allyship and how to be of best service to folks who aren't as privileged? Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, I, I would, I would re- re- rather defer uh, to, to a, a black person on that. Um, and, you know, certainly what we were talking about, like, you know, when we say we don't see color, um, you know, when we, uh, I mean, really, when we're not listening, when we're arguing and defensive and, and trying to prove uh, our allyship or trying to prove that we're not racist or whatever, like when we're in that space of trying to prove something, that, mm-hmm. that's where we screw up. And, and instead, what we really need to do and get to do is, is to listen and acknowledge. Um, you, you know, there was a, an interaction I had on Facebook last week with uh, a woman who's a, you know, white feminist who's very, very politically active. And, you know, she wrote a post about dating, uh, you know, bad boys versus good guys and used a picture of Easy e And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there were, there was a, uh, one of my, be- you know, best friends from the time we were 12, she, she's black and she, like, she, she was friends with this woman. And, you know, so she commented on her post. I, I commented privately uh, and then publicly and, you know, it was like, look, you know, we can't use images of black people to promote our stuff because, you know, I was talking about digital blackface and cultural appropriation and, and all of that. And, you know, and this woman was like, Oh, I didn't even know who he was. I just thought, you know, he looked like a cool, like artist guy, you know. And so, you know, there's a there's a there's a level of entitlement that that we as white folks walk around with, whether we know it or not, or we go into other countries, and people, you know, for the most part, cater to us. And so, you know, we have to really be careful about where we're stepping and and how and how we're stepping like I you know I don't walk into people's houses like I like I own their house you know and so it was really she never really got it why what she did was a problem and then she created a whole other post asking her mostly white audience what they thought of the digital blackface 
interaction. And, and so I was like, why are you asking white people what, what they think? You, you know, you know what the answer is going to be. And so, you know, there were a couple other black women and then um, there was a, you know, some other folks who commented who were really, ex you know, taking a lot of time and care in explaining it and not, not calling her racist or anything like that. And yet she still took offense and she still felt attacked. And, and then she created a whole other post about how she was attacked. And it's like, we, we just need to stop, you know? And, and, and when we can stop and listen and just be with the discomfort, because that's, that's what it is uh, in large part is, you know, we don't want to feel uncomfortable. And, and this is, I think, more of a, a human thing, but white people especially, like, we're not used to that. And so if we can sit in the discomfort and just listen and breathe and, and be curious enough to learn something, like that's that's when we actually create a space where things like racism can be healed and transformed. But but until we do that, like we're just going to keep putting ourselves at odds. So my, so my letter would would be all of that. Like it's okay yeah. to not know. It's okay to not have the answer. And what we really need to do is to stop and listen to to people who uh, are have been at the effect of of this kind of thing. No, and I, I love it. And it's it's a part of, you know, at least at least in my eyes, it's a part of the big picture where, you know, sometimes the hardest steps when we talk about any kind of uh, race conversation, discrimination, bias, marginalization, you know, whatever kind of topic it is, you know, sometimes those those first steps are the hardest. And you know, I've I've seen this. As a black man myself, I'm sure you've probably seen it as well or heard about it or whatever the case may be. But, you know, when we try to have conversations like this or just try to educate and empower folks to learn something new in the example that you gave of Facebook, you know, Facebook in it itself, it's the wild, wild west. You know, you see a lot of different uh, things go left on yeah. Facebook very fast. But, uh, you know, just thinking about not being so quick to be triggered into going into defense mode, right? If we keep going into the defense mode, we're never gonna be able to to talk about what we need to talk about. Yeah. And just similar to, you know, any subject that's hard, you know, there's like I was saying earlier, there's so much there's so much intersectionality. Yeah. In this, you know, there's so many different little nuances that, you know, yes, we can be, let's just say a group of black people, but we have totally different experiences. You know, yes, you can be a Jewish man, but I'm sure Jewish people have a lot of different experiences. Yeah. You know, yes, you can be a woman, but I'm pretty sure women have a lot of different experiences and so on and so forth. So, you know, I appreciate that letter, quote unquote, and it's good to not only just hear, but also be in a space to where it's safe. And it's like, you know, we're starting to see a little bit, you know, we're starting to see white people be like, you know, hey, white people, look, you know, this is what's going on. We need to be better at this, this, that, and this. And I appreciate, you know, not only the sense of openness, but also, you know, just being vulnerable about you know, having and starting and beginning the conversation around this, two things that really stuck out to me with the uh, friend 
um, that I've done a show on it, and it just popped in my head. So that idea that she demonstrated white fragility mm-hmm. and also another kind of concept, I may do a uh, another episode about this, but the idea of of white tears or playing yeah. uh, mm-hmm. or playing that ultimate sensitivity card just to just to get your way. We see that a lot, you know, in a lot of places, especially the workplace. But um, you know, that that might be something that I'll that I'll do separately from the other um, white fragility show that I did. So. You know, just thanking you for not only just jumping on with me, taking some time out of your day, um, out of your quarantine, <laughs> and just uh, talking about this this really important subject that needs to be, you know, slowly unpacked so that we can, in a sense, all get beyond this. You know, I know that's extremely optimistic, but, you know, we, we got to get the ball going, you know, to your point with mentioning how for you, when, you know, the Rodney King situation happened and many other situations, I was just thinking of, you know, I was in Baltimore when the Freddie Gray situation happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they literally riot and I'm like, whoa, yeah. they're about to burn down the city for real. And for those who aren't as familiar with the Freddie Gray situation, of course, I'm going to tell you to look it up. But basically, um, you know, Freddie Gray died in police custody and it was a whole big mess and especially if you was in Baltimore during that time you know they literally started burning buildings and stuff and I mean this probably was within let's see when was I there this was probably within the last five or six or seven years that this happened so maybe back towards uh 2015 or so yeah. so it's uh it's one of those things where you know I wish I could say hey, this is the last time, but especially when you talk about the justice system and all the powers that be, you know, we may, unfortunately, we may have a lot of, uh, a lot more Zimmermans to come, you know, hopefully that's not the case, but, um, you know, it, it is what it is at this point. So just want to thank you for coming on and beginning and having that conversation with me. I really appreciate it, Matthew. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate the, you know, just being able to 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 talk and and uh you know amp, amplify your message and what you do and and to to really uh you know dive into these these topics you know it's like at the end of the day um we we re, we white people resist so much when if we just kind of uh, um acknowledged where we're at and acknowledged, you know, our history and, and our, our present history, um, we, we would be able to get a lot further. Like we would all collectively be able to go, get a lot further. So, you know, my, my, my commitment and my stand is that that happens. That we yeah, absolutely. Like yeah. Yeah, no. And just, you know, just real quick, you know, I, I appreciate the topic and everything, but Let's pick on you a little bit, you know, hey, what's uh, what's next for you? I know, uh, you know, you've written books before and are very active, but anything coming down the pipe that we could, uh, you know, be looking forward to? Yeah, I, um, I have a I have a book in the works. Uh, and then I do I'm a consultant. So I'm a relationship coach and a consultant. And uh, I'm I coach individuals and couples, but then I also go into organizations and 
lead workshops and trainings to to create a mindset of inclusion to help um, uh, you know a lot of times there's a consistent uh, issue with people not feeling heard and understood and valued and that ha that tends to break down the organization so I really help organizations repair that and or take you know launch from a, a good place and and make things even better so you know I have my consulting work and my coaching work and then uh, the book and I have a the man school online course which which gets into like how we as men can develop ourselves and be uh, you know, I didn't grow up with an archetype of like what the, like the, the, the male role model would be. And I, and in talking to other men, like a lot of us from, from my generation didn't have that either. So, you know, we really get to, to, in the course, look at who do I want to be and what's the impact I want to have on the world and my family and my community and step into that from a powerful place. So, you know, those are the things that it's all on my website uh, and you can order my book or, you know, you can reach out to me and, you know, we can have a, have a chat, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. No, thank you. I think it, it'll be exciting. And yeah, I know I was even, you know, when I was reading your bio, I was like, wow, he's, you know, he's into relationship coaching and definitely helping other fellow men, you know, just be more cognizant and aware and especially in this Me Too area, so I was like, you know what, who knows, we might have to, you know, off, offline sometime talk about and brainstorm, you know, getting into that side of you in another episode, sure. but in the meantime, you know, how can people connect with you, where can they find you at, how can they continue the conversation? Yeah, thanks, well, my, my website is coachwithmatthewsolomon.com, and uh, two T's, all O's in, in Matthew Solomon, <laughs> coachwithmatthewsolomon.com. I'm on LinkedIn at LinkedIn slash in slash coachwithmatthewsolomon. Facebook is coachwithmatthewsolomon. And then uh, Instagram and Twitter are Maddie the Glue, which uh, that goes back to my musician days. They used to call me Maddie the Glue. So that's my Instagram and Twitter. Nice. Well, no, I, I appreciate it. And of course, those who, who are listening, I'll have this in the show notes when we release this episode. So don't worry, but no, thank you so much for that. And for those of you who, let's just say, this is your first time listening to this episode, when in doubt, you can search the podcast by at Honest Human Resources Podcast. Um, everywhere it feels like, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, IG, Facebook, all of it. If you want to suggest someone to get on the show, continue the conversation, or just really give a warm handoff and say, hey, Matt, you know what? You should talk to this person. Send me an email to, you guessed it, honesthumanresourcespodcast at gmail.com. So y'all keep that in mind as we continue to grow and have these very important conversations. So I want to thank you again, Matthew, for really jumping on the show and having this conversation. It's been, it's been a good one. Thanks, Matt. Thank you so much. All right. And you all know how I do. And until next week, until we meet again, until we speak again, this has been another episode of the Honest Human Resources Podcast.